is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Good morning. It is good to see you. Uh, if, if you were here last week and you heard... Terry speak and you thought, wow, Jubilee, the teaching there is great. I'll give that another go. I've um, got some bad news for you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite sure how the uh, speaking rotor was put together uh, or, or how Graham decided who would speak the week after, Terry Virgo, but the words short and straw <laughs> do kind of come to mind. Um, we're going to carry on in the uh, series that we've been looking at in the Gospel according to Luke. And I'm going to pick up where Graham left off. Last time we were in this series in Luke chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 14 and read through to verse 30. And uh, then we're going to try and unpack that a little bit. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to it or scroll to it or click your way through to it. Okay, so Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And I just want to pause there because it's not one of my points, but what a great custom that is. And uh, I just want to encourage you, make that your custom to meet with God's people on the Sabbath day. You obviously are here this morning, so you're, you're kind of one step ahead. Um, if you're listening uh, on the internet uh, because you haven't come, make this your custom to join with God's people on the Sabbath day. And he stood up and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Where's David? David, who encouraged us this morning to fix our eyes on Jesus. What a great prophetic song that was. This is what happened in the synagogue. Jesus sits down, having read, everybody's eyes are fixed on him. It's what we're trying to do this morning, even as, you, uh, even as we look at this together uh, and you listen. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when their heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, 
but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word brings life and freedom and liberty to us. And Father, we want to ask you this morning, help us to understand uh, the truths in this passage and help us to experience the things that Jesus uh, was promising there and that you are present by your spirit to fulfill this morning. In his name. Amen. Okay, we, um, we're going to just ask uh, a few questions this morning, and uh, I'm not going to go through the whole passage. I'm going to spend most of my time, probably, um, looking at what it was that Jesus read from Isaiah. Because uh, in Jesus' day, when you quoted something of the Old Testament, people knew their scriptures so well that, that with the little bit that you said, they kind of downloaded loads of other information. It was automatically in their understanding. It's a bit like, you know, in family jokes or stories that you might have in your family that, you know, just one line can bring back whole loads of memories and context uh, of things. If, for example, uh, I tell you that when she was young, peace began a mud fight with me. That won't mean much to you. But for peace, there's this whole story attached to the mud fight um, that I say she started and she says I started. Um, all I can tell you is the outcome was Mel was not very pleased when she came to do the washing that night. But there's this kind of whole history behind it. Or you might, for example, have certain phrases from films or TV shows that you know, you can use, and people around you won't really understand what you're saying, but, but in your family or in your kind of group or circle, it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I probably should think of a suitable example for you, but I can't because the programs that my kids watch are just bizarre. Um, and I'm sure if I started quoting Glee, that would be a dreadful thing to do. Um, but you'll know the kind of thing. So as Jesus reads this passage, the people who are there in the synagogue aren't just hearing uh, the words that Jesus is saying. They are downloading huge amounts of Isaiah into their heads because this person who is speaking here in this Isaiah passage is someone that Isaiah has been writing about and talking about all the way through his, all the way through his book. Now, this comes from Isaiah 61, but... The person who is speaking here, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, is actually a very familiar person and character to Jesus' hearers. So we need just to gen up a little bit on our background, because if you're anything like me, um, I don't download this kind of stuff automatically either. Let's just have a look at one or two passages in Isaiah where this person appears. Now, we're not going to go through everything, but I just want to give you a flavour of their understanding of what was being said. So in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah has this wonderful prophecy about someone who is going to come and it gives us just a bit of background, a bit of information. Who is it who is speaking? Isaiah says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse is David's father. So, There's someone who's going to come who is a descendant of the greatest king that we have ever had. 
and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is the servant figure in Isaiah and he develops it right through the whole book. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he goes on to speak about how this king is going to reign. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. This is a great descendant of David, a great king. The spirit is upon him. The spirit has anointed him to rule with justice and righteousness and show grace and mercy to the poor. This is someone who Isaiah is saying, this person is going to come. And anointed one, anointed one, the Hebrew word Messiah. The Greek word is Christ, the anointed one. Jesus Christ isn't like Kevin Gill or Graham Pyman. It's Jesus anointed one. It's not his surname. This is the one that they were looking to. We should have um, something on screen to help. We do. This is the image that these people are downloading as they hear Jesus speak. We find him, as I say, a number of times in Isaiah, but in Isaiah 42, just want to read these words to you. This is the context. This is about the servant. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Remember that phrase. Okay? My chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. This is the anointed one. This is the one who's coming. This is the voice of the person who is speaking in Isaiah 61 the words that Jesus writes. And Luke has been setting this in context as well as we've gone through the gospel. So we have already looked at these passages, but it's worth coming back and just reminding ourselves, John the Baptist, that question, are you the Messiah? And he says, no, I'm not. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals are not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And as Jesus is baptised and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Echoes of Isaiah 42. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of chapter 4, returns from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness. And in verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So both from what they've understood from Isaiah and from what Luke has been preparing us for in the Gospel to this point, when Jesus sits down and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he is saying this is about me. This is who I am. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the great king that you have heard about, a descendant of David, who will come and rule with justice and righteousness. This is who I am. And it's a bit low, but 
on the screen. But he is claiming to be the Messiah. And they will have understood some of that. They won't have understood all of it. There were hidden bits in Isaiah that only become very clear afterwards. But they would have understood this. This is a claim by Jesus to be the anointed one sent by God to bring justice and righteousness, to establish God's rule, to set people free. So we need to, okay, that's who he is. Who is he? Messiah. What's he come to do? Let's just have a little look at this because there's some background again that might not be clear to us um, but would have been clear to his, his hearers at the time. He's come to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now we as a church have a special vested interest in the background to this story because you need to go to the covenant uh, between God and his people in Leviticus chapter 25. This is the background for Isaiah's text, okay? which they would have drawn upon and they would have understood and we just need to remind ourselves of. This is in the covenant. This is God's uh, agreement with his people. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. And then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all the land and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan, that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. And we are called jubilee. And in, in the rest of the chapter, God goes on to explain how that works in practice. But it's a bit like, well, let's just read uh, the bit about property and then it will start to make sense. If people become poor, they sell the land. And they sell the land on the basis that in the 50th year it's going to come back to them. It's like God owns the freehold. You're moving at the moment. Are you buying a freehold or a leasehold property? You're buying a freehold property. The freehold is the person who owns it forever. When Mel and I bought our first flat together, we bought a leasehold flat. And the lease was 999 years. And because it had so long to run, we paid a king's ransom for the flat. But if you buy a flat and there's only five years left to run, you don't pay anything. because Well, you don't pay very much because in five years' time, the owner takes it back again and you lose it. Well, God says that's how the land works in Israel and that's how property works in Israel. In chapter 25, verse 23, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. For the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country possess, you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. And right at the end of this section on 28, in the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. So even if a person can't buy it back, in the 50th year they get given it back. 
Understand that? They, they, so if, if I become poor and I suddenly can't afford my mortgage anymore and I have to sell my house to get some money, I sell my house, someone else buys it. But in the year of Jubilee, if I can't afford to buy it back, it just gets given back to me. Yeah? So the gap between the rich and the poor in God's covenant relationship with Israel never really grows because every 50th year, if you sold land because you didn't have money, you got it back again. Free of charge. So the price you paid for it depended on how long you were going to have it for. Does that make sense? Sort of getting there. Okay. There's another aspect to it, which was that you could become so poor and you could have no land left to sell that you actually sell yourself and become somebody's slave or somebody's servant. And in the year of Jubilee, you were set free. So in chapter 25, verse 53, you should treat him as a servant. Uh, Sorry, he shall treat him as a servant hired year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him. And if he's not redeemed by his family, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. For it is to me that the people are servants. So you can become so poor, have, have sold your land, have sold your possessions. No one in your family can buy you out of debt. You sell yourself into servanthood. But in the year of Jubilee, your master sets you free and you go back to the land that was yours 50 years ago or your family's 50 years ago. You are released. You are set free. That's why the gospel, the year of Jubilee, is good news for the poor. Yeah? I just want to make sure you're with me because it's, oh, how do we get our heads around that? That is what Isaiah is talking about. In my very favourite um, explanation of the book of Isaiah, Alex Motier, he makes this point really, really clearly. This is what he says about, uh, about chapter 61, the bit that Jesus is reading from and that we're going to go back to. The poor, and he gives the Hebrew word, which I won't attempt to pronounce, are the downtrodden, the disadvantaged, those held back from progress and amelioration by people or circumstances. They have no money. That's who the poor are. Now, it's really important to understand that because we're going we're to look at what else it might mean when Jesus gives these words. But if we lose sight of the fact that in Isaiah and in God's covenant with his people, it really was about the poor, then we actually lose sight of of an entire aspect of the heart of God for his people and his kingdom. You see, sometimes you can read commentaries uh, on these verses in Luke and they will jump straight in and spiritualise what all this is about. And we have to be careful when we do that. So you might hear people say, this is about the poor in spirit, as in, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that is true. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or it might be that you read commentators who say, well, what this is about is people who are poor, but they are trusting God for their provision. Actually, that wasn't the case in the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee had nothing to do with an individual's personal walk with God. God just reset everything among his people. It wasn't a question of personal faith. And when, when you sum up the law, 
You sum it up like this. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbour as yourself. Who is my neighbour? Who's the one you hate? He's a Samaritan. He's the one you have nothing whatsoever in common with. You love God and you, you go for social justice. You love the people around you. You love the society you're in. You make sure that God's principles are established and upheld. That's what the kingdom is about. They're the two drums that the prophets constantly beat. Worship God with all your heart. Bring justice and righteousness. In fact, if you read Amos, there's that incredible passage where he says, I hate your music and your loud songs and your clanging cymbals, but let justice roll. Yeah? Because worship, without loving your neighbour and without social justice, God does not like that. He wants both in his kingdom. And it's important that we understand that is God's heart. He loves the poor. He wants there to be justice in the nations. Now, I think this means more than that because Jesus transforms it, but we can't lose that bit. It's really important we don't lose that bit. I was on the Trussell Trust website a couple of weeks ago. You may have seen this in the news. The Trussell Trust organised about 200 food banks around the UK uh, and they reported a couple of weeks ago that the number of food parcels they were giving out had increased from around about 60,000 to over 120,000 in the last 12 months. They estimate there are now 13 million people in the UK living below the poverty line. I tell you, the church has got to care about that. And we've got to get involved in doing something. It's part of the heartbeat of God. It's part of his covenant agreement with his people. However, it is also true to say that there is a deeper meaning here that Jesus is bringing out. Because Jesus didn't actually usher in a year of jubilee in which slaves were set free and land was returned to people. In much the same way as at the Last Supper, he takes the bread and the wine and he transforms what was an actual event of the setting free of slaves and he says there's a much greater freedom now. And if we go to my next slide, this is what Jesus is saying here. Yeah, there was this wonderful year of jubilee. Unfortunately, well, that's dark. Unfortunately, Israel never really quite got the hang of that. But Jesus takes this passage and says, yeah, there's this principle of jubilee. When people are set free, when captives are set free and sent home, when the poor get their property returned to them. But there's a greater freedom still that I am bringing to you which is freedom from your slavery to sin. Freedom from the things in your life that hold you captive. We, we were praying in the, in the room there this morning before the meeting started, and Lou prayed about liberation. Oh, she's read my text. This is liberty, set at liberty, those who are oppressed. And, and Matt, when he was leading us, talked about chains being broken and, and iron bars being broken and people being set free. They're chains. You can't see that very clearly, but they're chains. I had a nice picture of a chain being broken over water, but it wasn't of sufficient quality to put on such a big screen. But there are things that bind us. There are things that hold us back. There are things that we are slaves to in our life. Sin does this to us. It traps us and it holds us captive 
And we need to be set free. And you see people in life make such poor choices in terms of what they allow into their life that can capture them and hold them. I spend so much of my time with people enslaved by alcohol or by drug addiction or by money problems or by a love of, uh, of anger, a kind of addiction to anger and violence. There's so many things that can trap us. Ill health can trap us. It can become a snare for us. And it's great to hear testimonies this morning of how in the kingdom of God, captives are set free. The sick are healed. Because that's how Jesus actually demonstrates these verses in terms of his ministry. So whereas the recovering of sight to the blind to Isaiah was about someone who's been captive suddenly being set free and wow. Actually, in Jesus' life, blind people start seeing. Deaf people start hearing. Lame people start dancing around in the temple. People who are oppressed by demons. Terry spoke about last week, didn't he? Legion. We are many. That story ends with that man sitting up, clothed, and in his right mind, talking with Jesus. He has been set free. God is in the business of setting people free. Free for what? Free to love him. Free to worship him. Real freedom in life. Now, I think we have to hold both of those things together. I think we have to hold a genuine love for the poor in the church. The church picked this up, you know. I'm going to backtrack now. The church picked this up. So when you start reading about Acts, people who owned land sold the land and gave the money to the church to be distributed among the poor. They picked up that idea. There's a great story in in Acts chapter 6 of this sort of disagreement that arises among the people about how the food is being distributed because they don't seem to be distributing the food fairly and the apostles say, well, we can't handle all this so we're going to appoint some people to do it. And it pleases the whole crowd. And they appoint people like Stephen and Philip and Timon, which is just a great name. I can just imagine him doing the soup run, can't you? (laughs) Hakuna Matata. (laughs) Some old widow. Mm, Slimy yet satisfying. And when Paul goes to the, the, the uh, apostles in Jerusalem and they try and hammer out, is this what we're doing? Is this the gospel? Have we got everything? Are we doing it right? And they turn around and say, yeah, you go to the Gentiles. You preach to the Gentiles. We'll preach to the Jews. Only this, Paul tells this story in Galatians, only this. Remember the poor. This is the very thing we were eager to do. So we've got to hold that. That's the justice of the kingdom of God. And we've got to understand this. It's far greater in the kingdom of God than money and wealth and material things. We are set free from the oppression of the enemy. We are set free from our addiction to sin. We are set free from sickness. We're at liberty. This is the year of the Lord's favour. So, that's, that's who it is. Who? Who? Messiah, the anointed one. What's he come to do? Set people free. Who's he come to set free? This is where it seems to go pear-shaped.
You see, Jesus stands in the synagogue and he basically says to them, but this isn't for you. This is for the people you hate. This is for the Gentiles too. Because amongst God's people, there's this history of God reaching outside of the people and working with Gentiles. This is what God has done in the past. Think about the widow at the time of Elijah. Think about Naaman at the time of Elisha. God reaching outside. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you think, oh, you know, it wouldn't apply to me anyway. It probably applies to all those good uh, religious Christian people who are sitting in the rows behind me and in front of me and next to me. But it's not for me. It is for you. It is for you. This is the year of the Lord's favour. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus can set you free. And uh, in a moment, I don't know, we might pray about that. Some people have already come forward, so I haven't made my mind up yet, but I might give you an opportunity. But it is for you. But what really, really upsets the people in the synagogue is that Jesus said, actually, it's for those people out there. Yeah, we'll do our bit here, but there's about 120 of us here at the moment. Man, there are tens and scores of thousands of people through the exit who need to hear the good news that Jesus has come to set them free. Now, they didn't like that. I mean, it seems like a fairly exaggerated response to me. They try and kill him. That's how much they didn't like that. Jesus is not afraid of offending people in order to tell the truth. And thank goodness the gospel is for the Gentiles. Because if it wasn't, I wouldn't be saved. Would you? We're here because Jesus takes this good news and he brings it to people who've never been part of the covenant before. Aliens and strangers to the covenants and the promises. God saved you. God saved you. If you've allowed yourself to slip back into some kind of bondage this morning, God will set you free again. But I hear this. Through the exit doors, there are thousands of people who God wants to set free. We've got to tell them the good news. And we've got to have the courage, not just to tell them, but to demonstrate the heart of God in the gospel. That's what happened here last week with Terry. A man prays, God moves, people are healed. Yeah? Thank you, Chrissy. Hey, I don't care, one out of a hundred. Is that right? Absolutely. This is what we're called to. This is what the gospel is about. Proclaiming the Messiah, the anointed one, has come to set you free. And you might think you're outside of it. You might have nothing whatsoever to do with it. There are people out there who hate the church, who've had dreadful experiences, who want nothing to do with us, who don't understand a thing. But God can set them free. Right. Decision time. I think we should go for it. We're going to... Um, <laughs> what a public show of faith. <laughs> I think we should go with it. I know that you've had an opportunity this morning to come forward and to be prayed for. Um, maybe you didn't take that. Maybe you thought, oh, that's weird. That normally happens at the end of the preach. I'll... But hey, 
Let's give you another opportunity. Because I think maybe there are more people than came forward earlier on who just need the freedom that the anointed one can bring. So we're going to pray for that in a moment. Graham, are you okay to are you okay to come and tinkle the plastics? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. And uh, first of all, I'm going to pray for us as a church about proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. We want to do that well. Um, sorry, you can have it all back now. <laughs> we want to do that well, but we want to do it because we know that God does these things. And actually, if you're not free yourself, it's pretty hard to proclaim freedom to other people, isn't it? So let's get ourselves right too. Father, thank you that you gave Jesus, that you anointed him with your spirit in such a powerful way to proclaim freedom for the captives. Thank you that you have set us free from the power of sin and death and that we have new life in Jesus. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. Lord, Give us boldness and courage to proclaim this amazing gospel when we walk out through the exit doors to our family and our friends and our neighbours and the people we work with. Uh, Lord, give us courage about the gospel. Give us the kind of courage that Jesus had, uncompromising proclamation. Lord, we want to see many people in this city come to know you. And be set free. We want to see a church that is vibrant with stories of changed lives and healings and release from demons. Lord, we want your name to be glorified in every area of this city. Father God, will you be with us in that? And Father, will you minister right now to our hearts where we have become enslaved again to habits and default positions that we have just allowed to get a a grip and a hold in our life. Lord, where lies spoken over us in our past are binding us, come this morning, Holy Spirit, set us free. Set us free. Amen. We're going to have one song. I'll announce the end of the meeting at the end of this song. If you wanted to take the opportunity to just come and be prayed for and you didn't take it when Matt offered it and you haven't missed the boat and if you feel having heard those stories oh I should have gone forward last week you can come forward now it's the same God it's the same Holy Spirit it's the same gospel he will set you free we're going to sing this song if you want to come forward please come forward there will be people here to pray with you Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.